I'll start with two, two little things I want to say. <clears throat> One I meant to say last week and I forgot uh, when I was talking about the posture of the priest in the liturgy. Another reason for having the priest facing away from us and toward the altar is that when he's in that posture, if you notice, and I challenge you to watch now, you look right through him. You see his back and you look right through him. You do not see him. Uh, go to a, a church that, and this won't be orthodox, but go to a church where the priest is at the back of the altar facing the people and you see him and your vision start, stops with him. Uh, whereas when the priest has his back to you, you see right through him. That's the, that's, that's the perfect definition of an icon. Uh, see through into eternity. Uh, and when one serves the altar in any capacity, uh, the better he serves it and the more devoutly he serves it, um, the less likely he is to be seen. So when, when you see acolytes, who, you know, people with somber faces and things like that, they're not being overly stayed. They're trying to be invisible because, <laughs> you know, we don't want to be looking at the guy up the front and all that kind of stuff. We want to see through him into eternity. So remember that. The other thing I noticed today in the in the in the uh, in the uh, making of the catechumen, and that is that the priest blew into his face three times, and that means that the, the priest is is the agent through which God's Holy Spirit is being conveyed in an indirect way to this individual, or direct way, but not as in the not as in chrismation. So it's sort of a giving of the Holy Spirit and claiming that one for his own. But the priest serves as the agent for the transmission of the Spirit of God. That's, exam that's an example of us and our ministries, uh, which we'll be talking about during Lent uh, <clears throat> as, as a continuation of this concept. So, so remember that the priest isn't just being, you know, funny or he's not just doing an empty ritual. He's conveying God's spirit because we were meant to be the agents of creation. Okay, so this time I want to talk about what I call a participation in paradise. And if you haven't grasped that already, uh, then you haven't, you haven't gotten it, you haven't listened, or you haven't received it in some way, and that too is okay. Uh, Vladimir Lasky, Orthodox theologian, has said this in his work, The Mystical Theology of the Eastern Church. The world was created by, from nothing by the sole will of God. This is its origin. It was created in order to participate in the fullness of the divine life. This is its vocation, the world. And we are, if you remember, uh, the, the icons of God in the world and the icons of the world before God. We have looked at a number of things building up to this. Uh, and we realized that creation and the concept and all that entails in the word creation uh, lies at the beginning and the end of time. So all of time is seen in the perspective of creation and what God has done. And in that, we've found two things that we really see in this. Number one, what God reveals about himself. The essence of Christianity is learning what God has revealed about himself. We must grasp that. It isn't something that we construct on our own or we make up or we sort of discover out there somewhere. Uh, in, or that 50 different opinions all matter and they're all the same. That's not true. God is, and he reveals himself. We need to discover that. It's been revealed to us in the life of the church and all the great saints of the church, and especially at the very beginning of the Bible. This, in the very beginning, God, that's the starting point. What is he revealed about himself? 
And one of the two of the main things were that I'm come back to this in more detail, but he creates and he recreates. So the beginning and the end is creation and recreation. It's the whole essence of who he is. He's the one who does that. But he also tells us something about ourselves. We here's the sort of the frightening part of the journey. And I wanted to say when you were making the catechumen this morning, you're in it now. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, when when God reveals Himself to us. He also reveals us to us. We cannot come into the presence of God without the divine light shining on us and, and showing us ourselves as we really are. And as you pointed out in the sermon, sometimes it's not so pleasant. That's a given. Everybody in this room is broken and a sinner. And the sooner we get that in our heads, the sooner we will discover God. And then we'll discover ourselves. We had a society of people breaking down all around us because they something inside of them says there's more. There's got to be more. What is it? And, and a bunch of Christians are out there living in the exact same way as those people who are struggling. They have nothing to give them. The only way we have something to give them is to come to God, to know him as he reveals himself, and then to see ourselves and accept ourselves as he has revealed us. Now, Accept ourselves doesn't mean, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm irascible and intemperate. And so therefore, that's the way God made me. And that's the way I'm not saying that. I'm saying this guy, this guy needs to change. And that's the starting point. I have to admit that it's there. And it doesn't start until such. I, I'm, I'm thinking of marriage, you know, <laughs> you wives all have plenty to tell us husbands about what's wrong with us. And and, and we get all indignant and, and, and our hackles get up and our spines get straight and we resist. And it's not until we admit it that we really start to become decent husbands, you know. So, uh, yeah, it takes a while. You, take, <laughs> you have to work hard to break us in. <laughs> that's your suffering Yeah, that's your cross to bear, see. <laughs> We're being Jesus to you, see? Just remember that. <laughs> anyway, so he reveals himself and he reveals something about us. And what he reveals to us, we saw in the first creation story. And this is not a synopsis. I'm just trying to set you up for what I'm going to talk about today. Is that he is. God is. He is multiplicity in unity. That's the beginning. So the doctrine of the Trinity, for example, one has to believe in the doctrine of the Trinity correctly to begin to enter into the Christian journey. And he is transcendent. That is, whatever we see in that and whatever we learn, the little things, he's vastly beyond that. And it's always vastly beyond that. That's the awesome part of this, is that the, the, eternity is something. It's not just a place out there or a space out there. It is out there. And beyond it, and beyond it, and beyond it. And we keep going deeper and deeper into that mystery. That's what we want to see. Uh, and he reveals himself, that, that he manifests himself. He wants us to know this. He wants us to experience this. He wants us to understand it. We only understand it if we experience it first and foremost. And if you're going, oh, I'm so overwhelmed, I don't even know where to start. Well, welcome to the club. We all don't know where to start. Uh, that's the point. That's part of the reality of who we are and our limitations. But what is revealed to us about us are these things. Number one, humanity is the crown of creation. That's why the priest on our behalf stands there and blows the Holy Spirit into the face of the catechumen. Or of the, the yeah, it's a catechumen, right? Okay. <clears throat> one, somebody asked me once in the church, when you make me a catechumen, what does that mean? 
<clears throat> and I jokingly said, well, it means I can excommunicate you. <laughs> I don't know if he got my, my humor. I don't know. <laughs> One has entered into the life of the church, and actually, uh, with a catechumen, who's officially a catechumen, uh, can receive at his deathbed the benefits of the church's life. Uh, so, but not until then, because this is a journey. We don't do everything. We don't get to walk in here and say, oh, I'm a member. I like this place. Uh, I'm back. Uh, it's not like that. This is the journey into eternity. We have to be willing to pay the price. If we're not willing to pay the price of how long it takes to become an Orthodox member, we don't have what it takes to follow Christ. That's my opinion. And sooner or later, we'll fall by the wayside because we wanted it now instead of waiting for it. We're on the scope of eternity, guys. <laughs> It doesn't happen yesterday on eternity. God doesn't work that way. He just opens himself up to us. So we are the crown of creation, the crown of creation, the crowning glory of all that is. And we are capable within ourselves of experiencing God. We are capable of that. And so that transcendent nature, we can, we can experience. We may not be able to explain it, but we can experience it. And God wants that experience. We are co-creators with God. And really the main work of co-creation is ourselves. We cooperate with God in, co in, co in the work of co-creating us, recreating us, bringing us back to what we were intended to be from the beginning. We are representative, as I mentioned, of God to creation. So when the priest turns around, or when the priest stands there with his back to us, he's representing creation to God. And he turns around, he represents God to creation. And we do the same. You know, I have, I told you I have two Siberian Huskies and they're really pretty cool dogs, but they look at us. They don't, they don't go out and kneel down and pray in the afternoon. When they want to experience the divine life, they come to us. <laughs> That's why dogs, you know, they, they look at us and it doesn't matter. They're like God, aren't they? I mean, they, they, no matter how bad we treat them, they love us and come running to us. And we're the special people on earth. Why? I, I think that instinctively they know that they don't have a religious life. They don't have a spiritual life. The animals don't do that. But they look to humanity as the focal point of the true meaning of life. I mean, this is where they are. That's why they love it. They, they, they love our presence. Because I think they sense in somewhere the, the, cre the fulfillment of creation in human beings. It's almost as if they see God in us when we don't understand God in us. Um, it's really amazing. So we represent all of creation to God and God to creation. Uh, and, and God wants us to participate in him in his life, as I mentioned. So what God expected of Adam was in the beginning was to receive the revelation, that is believe it, and respond by fulling, fulfilling the commandments issued. And there were commandments in the beginning in creation in the Garden of Eden. Obedience, be fruitful and multiply, is considered by Judaism and early Christianity as the first of the 613 commandments of the Old Testament law. Now, here's, here's an interesting thing. We think that a commandment is only a commandment if it says thou shalt or thou shalt not. But actually in Judaism of the ancient world that was handed down to Christianity, any positive statement was a commandment. Be fruitful and multiply was a commandment. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand was a commandment. That was the first one of Christ. First thing he said. So obedience is, is a quality of what we are supposed to do. 
fasting, God said, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. <laughs> don't do it. Now, if that's not a form of fasting, I don't know what is, which means then that fasting was a quality of paradise. We've never thought that, have we? See, the light just goes on. Ah, no wonder the church says we should need to have fasting rules. And by the way, the church sets rules not because it wants to impose on us, but because if we're left to our own devices, we will do nothing. So the church gives us some rules and we can follow them. And we're allowed to adapt them. Talk to your priest and adapt them to your particular needs. Because the thing is to be successful in it. A third one is prayer. Oh, that's a given. But prayer really is, it should be seen as a sort of a communication with God, a talking with God, an interaction. It is personal, very intimate, to the point that Job could say, where, where are you? And why don't you come down here like a man and answer me? And Abraham could say, Abraham could say well, what if there are 50 people in, the, in Sodom? Do I destroy it? No, I won't. Well, now, Lord, don't get impatient with me, but what if there are 40 people? And he goes on and on till it's down to 10. And, and, and that kind of interaction is holy and it's good. It's what God wants. That's what prayer is. You know, the final thing is, is that we have to be like Job. It's okay to challenge God as long as we're willing to give at the end, meaning give in. You know, I told you one long ago in my own life, I had an experience and God wasn't coming through for me. And so I told him to get out of my life and... <laughs> You know, I, then I thought about it afterwards, and I thought, do you really mean that? And I thought, no. <laughs> I've been doing this for so long, I don't know what else, you know. And so really the bottom line is God gets us where we, we give up trying to have him our way, which is idolatry. Uh, and we accept what he, however he leads us. And that doesn't mean all things are from God. They're not. But he does work all things together for the good. And so even the worst circumstances can be blessings for us. And so we have to come to learn that and sort of let go and let God, as the saying goes. That's a cliche and it's worn out, but it's still, it has some merit. Uh, so in any case, and the last one is repentance. As I've mentioned before, if Adam was offered the opportunity to repent while he was still in paradise, so it could be argued, and, and, and the, the conditions of the fall were not imposed until he did not repent he excused, he blamed God and excused himself. So it could be argued that repentance is a quality of the life in paradise. Now, God has expectations for us in the Christian life, and the church holds to this. Uh, first and foremost, believe correctly. As I've said, it focuses our comprehension if we say we have to believe in the Trinity and the two natures of Christ, it's because if we focus our attention to that point and to those truths, we will begin to see through into eternity. We won't otherwise. We will only see the, the backside of the figments of our own imagination. Some of you who are old enough may remember that many years ago, they used to say, if you want to watch a solar eclipse, you take a piece of cardboard and you put a pinhole through it. I don't think they hold to that. anybody holds that anymore. I don't know. Uh, but I never could try it because I look up into the sun and I start sneezing. So it never worked for me. Uh, so, but that I remember them saying that. Uh, and, you know, there's, there's, there's some wisdom to that. 
as I've mentioned in the sermon recently and, and then last time in the class, he looked something very simple as these two beliefs. This is the, the way to see into eternity. I brought with me two books. If I were to tell you to find a book that would open to you eternity, you'd think of some big tome, wouldn't you? I actually wanted to bring something that was really big, but I didn't. I brought these two books. So look how small these are. Oh, this can't be worth anything, right? Wrong. This one here is 40 pages. The Church is One by Alexei Khomyakov, a 19th century Russian theolo Orthodox theologian. In two paragraphs in here, he tells us more about the saints and our relationship to the saints and what the, or, what the understanding of the church is than any book I've ever read. In other words, it introduces us to eternity. And these are simple phrases from, or simple statements and phrases from St. Uh, it, well, it says Archimandrite Sophroni, but since his book was published, he has been sainted by the Russian Orthodox Church. Uh, and I've referenced him a lot in these classes. So this too does what so many other books don't do is the other books tell us about orthodoxy. The, the good ones, I think, introduce us to God and therefore take us into that journey. So believe correctly. Remember what Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Every one of us has to answer that question and we cannot go on until we give the right answer. And when we do, all of eternity begins to open up. And that's what the church is trying to teach us through its calendar. Uh, and I would add, and I didn't do this as a lesson, but there is a subtle rejection of the notion of idolatry in the first creation story in Genesis. And idolatry is the issue. If we don't have God the way he reveals himself, we have God the way we think he ought to be, and that's idolatry. So he's saying, don't. In the beginning, God. And he reveals himself. We have to believe correctly. And that's a function of paradise. Because all of that occurred in the beginning in paradise. Prayer. Adam talked with God. We know that. And from implication in the text, he walked with him. God was walking in the garden. He said, Adam, where are you? So <clears throat> he walked with God. So there was a, an interaction. And I already mentioned Job. Job contending with God. And Abraham and even Jacob, who wrestled with the angel, who in some instances in that story is referenced as representing God. It's a condition, prayer is a condition or an expect and an expectation of paradise. So it's not just something we do religiously, it's an expectation of paradise. Commandments, we've already talked about how God ordered certain behaviors. Adam was to obey. Uh, and what we learn is that when the commandments are out there, they're not meant to oppress us or, or burden us, they're meant to help us see through into eternity. Uh, consequently, they won't make sense until we obey them. We have to obey them first. So when you find a commandment that you think, well, this is ridiculous, uh, don't say that. <laughs> don't say that. In due time, you'll find out. I think I told you that there's a self-examination that's available, and the first time you read it through, you're going to have about half the things on there. You're going to say, well, that can't be sin. But every time you go through it, I just say, well, just ignore it then and just do the ones that apply to you. But every time you go through it, more and more of those things that just one said can't be sin, start, you start looking at them and think, oh yeah, I see. And the farther we go in, I, I used to have a couple, there were two in there that I didn't get, I never did get. Uh, I can tell you right now, I understand them now, uh, after 50 years of looking at it. Uh, it took me a long, I'm, I'm hard headed, so it takes me longer than does some people. Some of y'all catch on immediately. 
Uh, in any case, when we when we learn to do these commandments, we find out what they mean, and they they broaden our experience of God. To obey the commandments is to have one's experience of God broadened. Don't we want that? Are we happy to be just indifferent in church and just have a religious experience? What what a church experience on Sunday? Uh, you know, that, is that what we want, or do we want more? And when they open to our God, what we learn is wisdom. It is wisdom to encounter God. They're taking us deeper. Jesus said, remember what he said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Huh. So much for the notion that obedience doesn't matter. And that's a condition of paradise. Fasting. God ordered man, as we saw, to avoid the tree of knowledge, which means it's a form of fast. He will impose, we will impose limits to, in order to curb our passions. So many of the fathers of the church say that fasting is the door to controlling one's passions. Why is that? Because eating is such a strong passion. We have to do it. We don't have to overdo it. And so we have to learn to master it. And as I said, the church will have... Restrictions intended to guide us and help us do it. Uh, and that fasting was a condition of paradise. And lastly, repenting uh, <clears throat> is an adventure into humility. Uh, and Adam could have done that. That too would have been a condition of paradise. All these things are wisdom. These, these five simple points, five simple points are the wisdom of God. And the, and the narrow point at which we enter into an encounter with God. That's where we start. It's not, you know, we're not giving you some big philosophy or something like that. It's very, very simple and very straightforward uh, for all of us. It's the fruit of the tree of knowledge or the tree of life. The fruit of the tree of life is to do these things. To eat it is partake in it. Remember in Revelation, uh, John is given the scroll and he's told to eat it, and he eats it, and it's sweet to his taste until it settles in, and then it gets a little bit bitter, he says. Uh, you know, it's like we hear God, and God says, follow me. Oh, yeah, sure, Lord, I'll go follow you anywhere until uh, we find out how serious the call is, and then we, mm, I don't know about this. I'd rather have it the old way, the way it used to be, when I had understood you my way. And yet God is always saying, farther up, higher up, and farther in. Come unto me, all ye that travail. Come unto me. These things are what Adam failed to do. He didn't do these things. And yet they're the simple requirements of the orthodox spiritual life. We are expected, we are expected to do what Adam did not do. And this opens us up to God. And if God is paradise, and we established that in the first lesson, Therefore, this assignment is a participation in paradise, which is God. The Christian life is supposed to be a participation in paradise. So we're not waiting for pie in the sky at the end of our lifetimes. It starts now. Paradise starts now. What we should see when we're in there is that we are in paradise. We've already left this world and begun to participate in that. That's what we should see. And if we don't get that, we've missed something. Something, we've missed something terrible in all the meaning of that word. Someone has said, in taking up this activity, one begins a journey, which rather than be something of this limited world, participates in the eternal, 
and leading away from the temporal extends into eternity. That's what this is all about. So it is, the Christian life is a participation in paradise. Don't forget that. However mundane it may seem at times, it is a participation in paradise. Questions? Yes, no, maybe, as one of my history professors used to say in college. <laughs> well, obviously we're having the all parish meeting next week, and then Father Mark is going to, in the last lesson, is going to sort of sum up what we've talked about here, and then we'll have some more on some other aspects of this later on during Lent, during our journey into paradise in Lent. Thank you.